Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Takara Williams. Good afternoon. I'm with Carla Harris, and we are doing the She Got Game segment. Carla, talk to us. Hey, what's going on, T? I'm glad to be here. Man, it's been a while. Um, let's have a good show. Let's let's talk talk about some basketball. Absolutely. During these times, um, all we can do is talk and try to stay prepared for so you got uh, having a quick play junior college basketball went on division basketball uh professional basketball or there was a WNBA or an ABL so some very and very knowledgeable person to back want to do a basketball is continue to evolve it, continue to grow it. And, Carla, with you coaching in different eras, what do you see with the kids nowadays? Man, I tell you what, I see a a difference in kids, you know, and we all say, I guess every generation talks about the difference in the athletes when they played and different in the athletes at that present time. But I tell you, this social media and um, the access to the things that they have and the ability to access each other, because I remember playing in high school, and we may have had rivalries with local players, but we didn't have immediate access to each other as these athletes do. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. And the, their ability to influence one another and not always in a positive way um, comes out a lot of times. And I tell you, the social media just changed the game. The Internet just changed the game. It changes the scope of coaching them. It changes the way um, – they communicate with each other and being able to get things across to them, it really has changed things. So I think basically the kids these days is really changed by our, our internet and our social media access to everything. All right. Hey, with that being said, we have Liz McQuitter on the line. So we're going to go ahead and bring her on so we can get this thing going and get this thing started. Coach McQuitter, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning, Coach. Glad to be with y'all. I was just listening and enjoying everything so far. All right. Well, we're looking for you to uh, take it to the next level for us right now. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, look, Coach, I want you to give everybody an intro on yourself because I know I won't do it justice, and I know I have biases with you because you are near and dear to my heart, but I just want the other listeners to hear where you came from, how you did it. Let's tell us your story. Well, um, born and raised in Elizabeth Galloway in uh, Rockdale, Texas, and uh, we played basketball. Basketball was huge in Texas, girls' basketball, as was Iowa and Oklahoma, probably those states that was really uh, just as popular in some places, more popular than the boys. But grew up in a small-town environment in a neighborhood where all of us played together. We always played co-ed. We played basketball, baseball, football. Uh, badminton. I mean, my mom bought us a gift every Christmas, you know, something related to sports, volleyball. So I grew up playing the game. And not once did I ever envision playing uh, basketball in college, let alone at the professional level growing up. So uh, Title IX, um, as I'm sure you're familiar with, a lot of people are not, sadly, uh, was in- implemented in 1972 when I was in high school. 
still not thinking so much of a scholarship because Title IX really was an educational act that was going to level the playing field for women on college campuses at the next level in education. And athletics happened to sneak in under the radar, and the rest is history. So by the time I was a senior graduating, uh, we went to state my junior and senior year and then uh, got recruited by the great Fran Garman to Temple Junior College. And at that time, junior colleges were very, very popular. They still are, but not so much as they were. We even played four-year schools. I mean, we beat Stephen F. Austin. We played Baylor, UT. We played a lot of four-year schools. And uh, at Temple, we won the first junior college, NJCAA-sanctioned junior college tournament. We won the first one national tournament. From there, I went to UNLV. After we won that national championship, I was recruited by Dan Ayala, who, Takara, I know a lot of things you learned were a product of him. And he also coached with Jerry Tarkanian with the men at the Running Rebels at UNLV. So um, after we won the national tournament, he recruited four of us from that team. And so um, played and really honed my game and went from there. Uh, that's when Karen Logan, who actually, I don't know, a lot of people know this bit of history, designed the smaller ball that revolutionized the game and that's played with today. That's one thing a lot of people have no idea. They think that WNBA introduced it, or, but it was designed by Karen Logan, um, who was played with the famous Redheads and also played with the Chicago Hustle, the team I went on to play with in the WBL, which was the first women's professional basketball league in the United States. We are uh, working hard to promote that as a member of my nonprofit, Lob Inc., Legends of the Ball Inc., to promote the historical and social relevance of the WBL because it was the first uh, successful women's professional basketball league in the country. So after playing, I worked um, for our team president, worked at a health club for a moment, and then got into coaching at Northwestern University in 1983. And the rest is history. I've coached up until this past year, uh, 20 years on the collegiate level and um, 13 on the high school level, which brings me to now. And then had the pleasure of recruiting and uh, coaching Takara uh, at Texas A&M University under head coach Peggy Gillum. And uh, thus uh, began a relationship that is uh, still strong and uh, connected today. Takara was one of my favorite protégés because she had I was known for my ability to steal the basketball and Takara just embraced it and uh, that really really helped solidify our connection because we know every way there is to steal a basketball and there is an art to it, right, Key? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey coach, we in the record yeah. books. That one's going to stick. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's kind of a little brief synopsis. Uh, of of my career, just spent playing all those years and then coaching and uh, trying to, as our motto for lobby is passing it on, paying it forward. Awesome. awesome. Of course, that's awesome. Um, I'm Carla, and uh, I've been reading nice about to talk you. Nice you, Carla. And, and to, <laughs> thank you, and Takara has enlightened me a, a lot about you, and you've just filled in any of the gaps and the pieces that I may have asked, and um, I'm honored to be on the call with you to basketball with you, and I'm sure it's something that is passionate for both of us in our many years of um, being a part of this game, but I want to ask you a question, maybe you can, you know, share your thoughts with the listeners on um, why is the history of the game so important, and, like, express what this game uh, means to you, and, uh, I mean, you've already told us uh, where it has taken you, but 
if you can express to the listener what it means to you and, and how these young players can um, use this game as you have to advance your life. Yeah, Carla, I, the historical history in general, I'm a history buff in general, whether I'm a part of it or not, because I just think uh, today's generation, and I have often, Carla might have heard this too, I've often said the game did not begin with you. And not just the game, everything did not begin with you. And so the historical relevance of the WBL, uh, I'll speak specifically to, is because if you don't know all the changes, all the uh, advancements of the game, how can you talk about the historical importance of the collective bargaining agreement most recently that that changed the financial landscape for the WNBA players that allowed them to be secure as, as mothers, as players financially? How can you celebrate that history when you don't know your full history. One thing that comes to mind, I was listening to a podcast with Cappy Poindexter. I think it's an older one. My son, who's a basketball buff, was playing for me, and it was Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles, and they were saying, the game has come a long way, Cappy. And I was like, my thought was, a long way from where? A long way from what? How do you gauge the growth of the game if you can't go back and trace the beginning of the game. So to me, the history is important because how can you garner where you've come from? Yes, it's great to see the advances of the game. It's great to see all that the WNBA players are receiving uh, because they work just as hard. They contribute to the game. They contribute to the social and political landscape. But how can you gauge where you came from. We had salaries that were minimum of $5,000. Now you've got $500,000. The wow. picture isn't complete until you go back and see the first women's professional league. What were they played? Now paid. Now you can gauge the growth, really gauge the growth. Yeah. So that's why history is important. How can you celebrate new history without knowing all of your history? Very important. A lot of a lot of kids, a lot of kids. For you to say that, coach, a lot of young athletes don't do that. They only gauge by what they see and what they want, and they don't understand um, where we have evolved from. Because when you understand that, you can definitely appreciate where we are. I like that. Great, great point. Great point. Yes, yes. I mean, they've and I've I hear I've heard some of our great WNBA players from 20 years ago when they first came in. I just watched the women of Troy. I saw Cheryl Miller, who I've always thought was the best women's basketball player. A lot of people didn't get to see her, unfortunately. And I hear them say, Lisa, all of we didn't have role models. But you did. And at what point is it your responsibility? And you guys were talking about the age of social media. You can Google us. You know, at what point is it your responsibility to know? We knew our history. We knew about the great AAU teams and the Redheads and those business teams. If you look, a lot of the business colleges, the women played. It doesn't take much to go back. There's an African-American women's traveling team that was – we appreciated that history. We didn't have social media. We had encyclopedias, and we <laughs> got by word of mouth, and then our coaches – who Fran Garman, who is one of the founders of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and still on the board of directors, coached us at Temple. She, we listened to the story. So we were getting firsthand knowledge. 
And so now you have all this access to that knowledge. There's no excuse for you not to know your history and not to say you didn't have role models. One of the things that's great about it is we have actual game footage. Channel 9, WGN in Chicago, still in existence today, they carried our games. So we have a lot of great footage, and we're going to um, be making that footage available once we, we're in talks with a documentary right now. So, But that footage is going to be available for people to see. The game was very good. Don't get it wrong. It was very good back then. And you have your first women's Olympic team in 1976. The, and I think it was 10 of those women played in the WBL two years later. So there's so much yeah. history and, and that – that's just there, and and our our mission is to get that history out. Coach, what what does it that's mean awesome. for that's you awesome. to be one of the trailblazers? What does it mean for you to be one of the trailblazers of this game? It's it's humbling, but it, it but it's also heartbreaking because we've tried so hard. Because it's like you know, I I take from the movie Hidden Figures. I was appalled. Not that at myself and others that we didn't know that women and black women in particular put man into space in this country. And I think everybody should be appalled not knowing that we were there, we existed and helped launch this game of basketball. So for me, it means that I was a pioneer. You know, we went, to, I don't remember going to Chicago. My dad lived in Chicago. My mother was, I grew up with us, but my mother was so glad. They were afraid for us. We were afraid. We didn't know what we were going to. So that pioneering spirit that we had to go, and let me tell you, Takara, it was not lost on us that we were going for more than just ourselves, just for our love of the game. We recognized even then that if we got this going, future generations would have an opportunity to do something they loved and that they were good at. So being, being a trailblazer, it, I embrace it. It, it, like I said, it is both, uh, it is filled with great emotions and also a sadness that we are still for the most part, hidden figures that need to be brought to light, fully brought to light. And uh, it also means that we had an opportunity to be a part of this game for the past 45 years, Takar, because Muffet McGraw sadly just resigned. She was one of our one of the last ones of the WBL generation. Muffet McGraw played in the WBL for the California Dream. So I oh, don't wow. think people even realize that, yeah, people don't realize that the WBL has had their handprint over this game, the members of the WBL. Uh, Peggy Gillum, your coach at A&M, my good friend, and I was her assistant when we coached you, played with the Dallas Diamonds and also coached in the WNBA with the Houston Comets. Trish Roberts played, uh, coached in the ABL, who played in the WBL, who was also Pat Summit's first All-American and was also mm-hmm. a member of that first uh, Olympic team. We're working on a project now called She Came First because we were the first. I've heard other people say, oh, we're Title IX babies. No, you're not. We are the Title IX babies. You're the Title IX beneficiaries. <laughs> we were in high school when Title IX came along. We gave birth to it. And the thing about the project she came first is because we represent all of the first. The first African American to play at the University of Texas is also on our board. Trish was Pat's first um, All American. She was the first Olympian. All of our membership 
were the first, the first All-Americans, the first regional All-Americans, the first All-Conference, the first national champion winners. We had to be because we were the ones that got the first scholarships that were available post-Title IX. And, uh, you know, so that's what it means. It means that we laid the foundation and we carry that with pride. But more than that, we have continued to pay it forward. And if you want to connect the dots, to the advancement of the game today, they will lead you back to that WBL contingent. Doug Bruno, who was my coach for the Chicago Hustle, is still coaching at DePaul, and he was the Olympic assistant with Ariema, Gino Ariema, for the 2016 and 2012 Olympics. So the people from the WBL are still impacting lives, have coached and produced high school great players and high school. Seven of our board members coached high school and college. So you see what I mean by connect the dots and the impact the members of that WBL had? You did have role models. We were there. You just didn't know we were there. Oh, wow. That's, right. I think with, awesome. uh, with the, the media, with the media, it's a different time, I think. And, and I, and if I may say, I think you, you will be one of the role models for me playing in my time. Um, I, well, Cheryl Miller was like above me, and, but I think we all I saw was them, them playing on on the television a couple of times, and I started seeing. I think gradually the the mm-hmm. focus start getting on girls basketball, and I, I, for them to say that they didn't have role models, I think they just needed to look a little deeper and and really see it. Absolutely. It was it was some people before us that laid the way, that paved the way for us. Yeah. So, coach, tell me, and this. that's probably the biggest Karen. thing that pains us right now. That pains us. Mm-hmm. We were there. But the, here's the thing. We never left. We were just leading and impacting <laughs> as coaches. You know, we right. were all that so many of us coached uh, great players and, and uh, passed it on and paid it forward. And like I said, it's sad to see Buffett step down. She was one of our, our most high-profile WBLers. But Doug Bruno is still there at DePaul. He was, a, he was our coach. He was one of the original coaches in the WBL. And so, but so many of us, you know, we were, we never left. And we actually coached you. I mean, Peggy was an assistant Olympic coach in 2000. So a lot of you that were, didn't know about your, you had one right in your presence. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I wrote a poem called In the Presence course, of Greatness based on a lot of that. Dang, I, I got to read that. Where can we read that at? No, it's all right, but where can we read that format? I'll send it to T. Yeah, I'll send it to T. All right. But I want to um, transition to another. (laughs) That's cool. I call her T as well. (laughs) I call her T as well. Um, Uh I want to transition to another another thought um, in this realm that we're in, in the role as coaching and then the parents. Um, Two-fold question, Coach. So how do you think coaching has changed, if you think it has changed? And two, do you think parent involvement has changed in any way uh, when we're dealing with um, the collegiate athlete or the high school athlete? Absolutely, on both, in both areas. Coaching has changed um, because of, if you want to look at the coaching changes in the way of advancement 
for salaries and opportunities. And because when I first started coaching, there were not a lot of African-American coaches. We looked to Vivian Stringer and Marion Washington. They were our mentors. Okay. So coaching has changed from the standpoint of race. Coaching has also changed from the standpoint of gender. You see our sport uh, I hate. I don't want to use the word bombarded because it sounds negative, and I don't mean that in that way. Because Doug Bruno is one of the biggest uh, champions for women in sports, but it has been bombarded by male, the male influence in coaching of women's sports, and I think that's because uh, women's sports is viewed as it, it's legitimized now. You know, these are great athletes and great skilled players, not just women out there playing. So that's going to bring in males into the sport as well. Uh, it's changed in the, the, it, the ability, the technology has changed it. The exposure has changed. Uh, the competitiveness has changed. So the sport as far as coaching has changed in every way you can imagine. And not all for good. Everything new isn't better. So, so that as far as, Parental involvement, the parents now see, and I think we're talked about Kobe as girl dad, sadly. I just want to send a shout out to Kobe and Gigi. But we've talked about the change in how it's viewed from a parental standpoint. I think now parents are more involved because this is an opportunity for my child to get a scholarship, which will help her get an education. So the parental involvement is greater because now you're going to take that young player at an early age and give them every, it's an investment in their future that they can play at, uh, and it doesn't have to be division one, but they can play and get a college scholarship to get their education and also make a living now playing it for those who are elite. And I will get back to that. It's still the same. <laughs> it's only that small percentage that's going to make it all the way, but don't kill the dream. You know, you have a right to dream like everybody else. And there's more than going to profess college and professionally. There's more to that, to the sport, because what you get from being a part of a team, there's so many things. Parent, I would encourage uh, sports participation. Girls are less likely to get pregnant, are less likely to do drugs, are less likely to get in other involvement, are more likely to be stronger academically. I mean, the statistics are there when you're involved in sports. The leadership that comes from it, the camaraderie, I mean, they may end up becoming coaches. So it's more than just going to college and being a pro that, that parents should push their girls toward being in sports, yeah, self-esteem. I mean, it's, it's based on fact and research. And I'm a witness to it. I'm a witness as a player that garnered all these things. And those young women that I coached, that I watched grow as leaders, grow in confidence, and then go on like Takara and others to play at the higher levels in college and professionally. The other thing I think with the parental involvement is uh, is not as positive, you know, maybe just pushing a little bit too and maybe succumbing to some of the pressures and the other things that, that uh, come with parents. But also I was mentioning Kobe. I said now you have fathers who are investing that time in their daughters, you know, the way they invested in their sons because mm-hmm. now your daughter has a chance to achieve all those things that – their her male counterparts can, so mm-hmm. you know it's been mostly positive, but you know with some downside. But now, and like I said, Kobe popularized that 
uh, and those others before him and, and since, but he popularized that because of his high profile. Hey, I don't have any sons. I have daughters, but my daughter's going to carry on my legacy and she can get out there and she has all these great opportunities. And I say that with a tinge in my heart because, uh, you know, we, as we know, Gigi is not going to be able to carry on his, uh, his legacy, but maybe she'll inspire. They both inspired others to do so. Mm-hmm. And, and coach, I just want to, when we were speaking on change, um, talk about, have you seen the evolution of players have you seen players change from the time you play coach oh, yeah. until even right now? What changes have you seen in oh, yeah. players? I tell you, I've all, I've, and we've talked about this. My generation has talked about this. And I'm going to say this now. We could ball. It's not like we weren't <laughs> good. But and if you if you just look at the comparison, okay, would you say that Kareem could play? Kareem is older than us. Let me see somebody more of our contemporary. We're a little older, older than Jordan and Bird and Magic, but we're <laughs> younger than Kareem. We're somewhere in the middle. Would you say that Kareem and Dr. J couldn't play and Elgin, Baylor, and Jerry, would you say that they couldn't play? Would you say that Michael and Bird and Magic and Isaiah, would you say that they couldn't play? No, you wouldn't. But you look at the male game and you look at the – game back then. So that's the way I would say look at the women's game. Compare us to our male counterparts of our era and then compare to the generation's uh, best, biggest stars of this era. And you would say, so that's what I mean by I say our game was very good back then. I think what everybody would, uh, would agree with me on, to me, as I watch the biggest difference they are doing things at an earlier age that it took us college and beyond to do. To me, that's the biggest change. So you, what do you attribute that to? Well, first of all, you've got to look at how we all help popularize the game. You've got to look at the social media, the opportunity, uh, the equipment, the gear, the, the coaches, a lot of whom are the generations before who have coached these young players, uh, the access, you know, so you look at all those things. That's how the game has changed. And so I've got now I can look and look at middle schoolers and maybe even younger doing stuff I didn't do at all or didn't do until I was in high school or college, really more like college. So to me, that's the biggest change. They learn more. They learn it faster. They learn it younger. But I'm not going to sit here and say the game wasn't good back then. And like I said, I'll hang on to my point. Look at the male counterparts. You're certainly not going to uh, uh, count Jordan out, especially in lieu of uh, what we've been watching lately on him. <laughs> I think people needed to be reminded that he's the GOAT. And I'm Team Jordan. He's the GOAT, period. You know? And, and it's for more intangible Period, Coach, period. Well, period. Look at the intangibles. You know, the intangibles. As much as his tangible skill, his intangibles made him the GOAT. Nobody matched him. Kobe embraced them, embodied them, but Michael uh, originated them. So, so yeah, so the game has changed. And, I, and like I'll say that again, these kids, and even just looking at some of the kids, the AAU footage, those kids are doing stuff we didn't do at that age. But they are benefiting from what we did, yeah. yeah. Coach, there's, a, there, there's this, um, I guess it could be, uh, labeled a stigma that the kids these days are soft, softer than the athletes mm-hmm. came before them. Um, I definitely see it even with my age group and the kids that I coach right now. They're more fragile than mm-hmm. we were. I think we competed more. Yeah. We were harder more. Um, <laughs> what's up with the 
where does this softness originate from? Um, I say it has to start at home because, I mean, I don't have kids, but I know that, you know, my mom, if I didn't do something, You're she would right take something from mm-hmm. me. So that yeah. taught me how to mm-hmm. deal with diversity. Um, you know, just like you said, all good changes are not good. <laughs> all new That's are right. Good. All things new and, are not better, yeah. <laughs> and, I agree, Carla, you could, Carla, I, I agree. Yeah, and Carla, you can testify to this as well. You know, you've seen it as well. <laughs> it, it's a, it's different. Like you, you certain people yes. you can't just get on. They don't understand your competitive nature as a coach. Yeah. No, you definitely, you know, you coach kids differently. You get a different response. Yeah. And and I always go back to when I contact a parent, and their response lets me know where the child kind of gets it from. I have one. I yeah. have some parents that. If I call them and they're going to be like, they're going to get on their child with me and they're going to support everything I say. And then I have some parents, I call them and then they'll give me a hundred excuses why the child didn't get this and that done. Or why and it's a direct effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. I, I totally agree. So, you know, you know, Takara, I used to jump in there with y'all and demonstrate. And I was, yeah. I was in my, I was 40 years old then. Now I'm over 60. I still, I have a torn meniscus, but I still get in there. I say, okay, it's time to learn how to take a cut. And my kids, like, okay, five years ago when I was coaching at Rockville, that group, uh, one of the better high school teams I coached, uh, I would get, they did not want to do the drill. Now, you got, I'm going against 15 people because I'm taking <laughs> cuts. I'm like, come on, next one. You remember that drill, Takara? Yep. And yep. so it's like, it's like, and they're bouncing off me, and I'm like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> you know. And I, so I mean, I know I'm. I was always strong, and I, I'm still physically strong for my age. But uh, that's just a physical softness. And I, now I, and so I, I, whether it's post up, I'm posting them up, showing them post moves, or defending them in the post, it's no different. And foul, foul. I said that would not be a foul. You know, I said, you're calling that a foul? Coach, you, I'll coach. Yeah, so that's just one tiny <laughs> smidget of it, of it. But I think the psychological, I would call it psychological softness. And Agreed. I think that's, the, that's from the babying by parents or babying uh, by other people that coach them. It's almost like the bigger star you are, too the more you're, you're, you're catered to. And I think one example, when people are looking at uh, the, the last dance with Jordan, how Detroit, how they, how physical, I've heard that from some of the young kids, how physical the game was. Nobody got thrown out unless maybe right. you fought, maybe you get thrown out. And uh, we were talking, I was watching the Lakers and Celtics series when Mikhail clotheslined Rambis, changed the whole course of the series and helped Boston win that year. Lakers were a finesse team, you know, but the physicality of it, they don't get that because the rules are in place at every level that protect them. You know, that's a foul. wasn't a foul when you, you guys played 15 years ago. It wasn't a foul when we played 30 years, 40 years ago. You know, now you, it's a foul. So I think there's, it's multifaceted. The reason is it's not just one reason. A multifaceted reason that has changed the game to this soft. You can't do that. That's a foul. I watch my kids all the time. Foul. foul. I'm like, that's not a foul. <laughs> you know, but it's just, you know, what they view it. So that all has gone to create that, you know, 
I mean, I'm, I see it. I've, I've been from the playing time to the coaching to, to just this year, which is the last time I coached, I see it. Is and it, even in officiating, is, the officiating oh, has yeah. changed and contributed oh, to it. So <laughs> everything is multifaceted, yeah. So yeah. is is it something that um, we can we can change and kind of get them back? Um, and I know with the officiating, it makes it harder because they do call the soft, yeah. touchy fouls. Um, yeah. Yeah. But is this something we could do to get our <sighs> kids to play more physical or even to be uh, mentally more tougher, be mentally tough? Because I think that plays a, oh, my God, they just give up. They hit a wall and they just give up. I they think don't try that, to go you through it, it. You hit it on the head. <laughs> It's mental. You hit it on the head. Mental toughness is actually, and I worked uh, at KP's at Kerry Patterson Brown School Legacy School of Sports Sciences, where I worked. And uh, that KP was uh, uh, her first her first year of coaching when we recruited Takara, a big part of the reason we got Takara. But uh, at Kerry's school, I taught coaching, and one of the uh, not just with them, but with my teams, I did a whole section, and we talked about it, handouts and examples on mental toughness. Because you can't be physically tough and stronger until you're mentally tough and stronger. That's got to come first. So I think if we can get them to be mentally tough, you know, and that goes, that transcends everything, doesn't it? And your work ethic and uh, how you uh, succumb to pain or, or not or overcome the pain. And uh, and I'm not talking about bad pain or you're injured. I'm not talking about injuries. I'm just talking about the pain of getting better which is right. necessary. You know, you got to go through to get honed into that finished product. So um, it's, it's the mental toughness that's got to be ingrained. And it's not just sports is such a great tool toward building mental toughness in life. And I know you both can attest to that. I know I can. Mm-hmm. You know, it may. And when you overcome Definitely. in sports and you learn to work together and you know what you have to do individually and, you get knocked down. You got to get back up. You can't cry and make excuses. I also taught health, and it's called IU messages. Well, he, well, she, well, they, well, it. No, don't you know? Don't make excuses. And uh, you know, so the mental aspect of it is the key before you can do anything physically. And like we said, bear in mind it's the change of the times. So from officiating to rules to uh, the culture, you know, mm. how are you going to go back and reverse that right. to to the more physical stuff? I mean, I don't know that it's possible. I think we're just headed down that path. And so the best thing you do is, and there are some kids that mix it up. I mean, we have some, we have some today, but it's almost like the exception, not the rule. Right. The standard. It, it, it has gone away yeah. from being the standard. Yeah. 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 And Carly, then it's like, oh, she's so rough. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and Carla, I know for uh, for yeah. uh, me and you, and Coach, you coach now too. But Carla, I know for me and you, we see these kids um, just not being able to push through anything. You know, so yeah. talk about your experience with that. Coach, Carla. I'm telling you, just just soft. I remember I'm a little older <laughs> now, but I used to line my players up one by one and just play them one on one after practice, just to show them like you're not as tough as you think. And, and, uh, yeah. and, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit up there now, so I don't do that anymore, but I might do shooting against them. But the the, the ability for them to just give in so easily. And, of course, you mentioned about 
how being a, on a sports team transcends as you go throughout life. And I remember some of the most difficult times yeah. in my life, and I think the mental toughness that I developed by being an athlete oh, yeah. and being challenged by my coaches helped me to overcome yeah. things that had nothing to do with basketball. But that That's mental toughness that I am going to be fact. able to do this, I'm strong enough to do this, I'm smart enough to do this, I can make it through this, all came from, you know, my, my, my love of, and my belief in Christ as well. But my mental toughness mm-hmm. came from being on that basketball court and being challenged to be yeah. great. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Carla. Um, the, the, it brought me out. I was shy. And it also, I mean, from leadership, I can't say enough about sport, you know, when it's done the right way. Because coaches have a lot of power, and coaches don't always use that power in the most productive way. We both, I've had, I think we all could probably say we know kids who have been destroyed or damaged. So we have to take that power that we have and use it to the benefit of that kid beyond basketball. And it's always, and Takara will remember this, I used to always say basketball is not bigger than life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if but if you apply it to your life, it's going to help you. I mean, we have biggies that transcend. I mean, the biggie, of course, is death. And we've had players that lost parents and lost family members, uh, had other traumatic things happen, you know. So, but if you can help build that sense of family, that sense of belonging that sports does, that sense of sisterhood or brotherhood, I got your back, all that stuff parlays into life. You know, and, um, you know, if you, even if right now, if we can get them to be mentally tough, which is one of the things I strive for, yeah, I want the physicality and I want them not to back down, but even if we can get them, turn the focus to mental toughness, I think we'll still will succeed uh, in some manner, even if, if, if they don't ever play that physical, physical game of the past, the mental side of it. I think is is what we I know it's what I strive for being mentally Coach, tough. I would you're take, dig deeper. I would take yeah. yeah all day. I would take mentally tough kids without you being that banger that Charles uh, Oakley or Charles mm-hmm. without being that Bill mm-hmm. Lambert. I don't need that right now. But just give me mental <laughs> right. toughness to where if you're yes. challenged in the game, yes. they go on a run yes. or they hit a big shot. You don't drop your head and think it's all over. And now. give up. Or yeah. you can't. Some kids lose the game before the game even starts. They walk in the game and they're shaking in their boots before the game even started. Like, come on, yeah. they throw in their pants. That happened like to our middle school this year. Get fighting to go to state and. Uh, Chandra Frank, our middle school coach, you did a great job. We were up and we went behind, and the, we were only down by one and had, I don't know how much time, we had plenty of time. And uh, because they took the lead, you just saw the win. And then they scored again, and it was always, we just threw the ball. So that was the mental toughness that we tried to instill. Like, And we had it. I remember my friend Deborah Wadi and Diane Tillman, and we were the three African Americans on our team at Temple. First, it was just Deborah and me, and then Diane. We would look at each other and slap five and be like, "Oh, you ready? Okay, you ready?" That's what I. And then my UNLV teams, you know, where I had such a great coach, even with the Hustle Chicago Hustle team in the WBL. You know, you just look at each other and you feed off of it from the uh, from each other, or you succumb to it when somebody isn't in, isn't all in. Because whatever right. it is, somebody can sap it out of you. 
But if you've got a coach that's like that and a team full of mentally, you know, it ain't over until it's over. I was just watching Reggie Miller's great game about uh, scoring eight points in, what, 39 seconds, whatever he did. Right. The Knicks, you Against know. the Knicks, yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you just, it's not over until it's over. And that's the way I coached. Don't celebrate. Don't celebrate, yep. you know, until it's over. You know, until the game is over. So, yeah, I, so I think right now I, any advice I would give to any coach would be try to develop mentally tough people. Yeah. You know, because I, that's, a, that's, a, that's something generationally, I'm sorry, we fight. My students who aren't athletes, which is not very many, but uh, at, the, at Legacy, but just be a mentally tough person because it's inevitable that you're going to face adversity. That just it's just a matter of when and how how big of a situation it ends up being. It's inevitable, right? So. And, and speaking of um, mentally tough coach, this this brings me into um, a very hot topic. Um, Want to definitely get your thoughts on this? Um, I don't know if this portal existed when you were coaching, but this transfer portal. Um, the loyalty yeah. that you know kids no, and parents it don't it necessarily have. When I was coaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the, the transfer portal has had, I think, last week nine hundred and one collegiate basketball wow. women's players in it. Oh my! Talk to me about that, coach. What's going on that we're you know something's happening? It's a it's a, a misdirect. I, I think somewhere. it goes back to again. I mean, obviously there are there are times when. Uh, it may be best to transfer. Let's just right. say that, you know, no matter what era you're in. But I yes. think because of the accessibility of it, because it's allowed, because I think now you're going to have people transferring for reasons that aren't as legitimate had it not been like that. You know, stick it out. And because there are a lot of kids, had they transferred, I've had kids come back and say, I am so glad I did. <laughs> you know, if, if, because you, for whatever, didn't go your way or you weren't willing to pay your dues or wait your turn or, you know. So right. it's because of the accessibility of it. That, I think, is what's going to drive the numbers up, what has driven the numbers up. So now anytime you're disgruntled or anytime something doesn't go your way, and then, like I said, let me reiterate, there are times when maybe it isn't the best interest of the kid to transfer, there are times when they have legitimate reasons for transferring. But I still think because it's there, you're going to get people who transfer at the drop of a hat or any sign of trouble, you know, I'm transferring. So I don't know that it's a good thing. I, you know, my, my, I, I have my opinions about it. I don't know that it's a good thing, that it's so easy to do, I guess. But, yeah, right. and I, I do. I think you're going to have people transferring for reasons that aren't, as legitimate. I do, you know, everything new isn't better, <laughs> you know, and, and so, and I, and I'm for the kid, I, even when I recruited, I remember a girl I was recruiting, she ended up telling her she wasn't coming to Texas A&M, and she said, and I didn't get mad at her, I said, well, I wish you the best, we wish we could have got, she said, oh, coach, thank you, she said, this other coach just cussed me out, and was, I said, what? You know, I said, I would never do that. I said, oh, yeah, I wish, you know, I hate that we're losing you, but it's your life. So I don't want to sound sound contradictory, but, I mean, I recognize the fact that it's your life. You can do what you want. But I will add to that, your actions have an impact on more than just you. 
I mean, coaches' livelihoods weigh in the balance sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, you know, it's, I don't think there's any one answer, but I certainly will stick to my guns when I say accessibility or the fact that it's there is going to kind of open up a lot more transfers than I think you would normally have. Agreed. Um, and we see mm-hmm. we see this happening on the high school level even before they get to college. So oh, it seems yeah. like yeah, <laughs> it just yeah. seems like that they're doing it early. And I mean, if I'm a college coach looking at a kid that has gone to two, three schools, I don't necessarily think I'm going after that kid. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, loyalty and ethics. You know. Yes, and if, if a kid and I had kids transfer, I had a, I had a senior transfer in. I never actively went after her, and she came, and it's like, well, if you're going to go somewhere, you know, okay, I'm not going to say, oh no, don't come here, because I don't want to bring, you know, well, I'm leaving that school, so I want to come here. So I, I totally don't get involved in that side of it. But if a kid decides to leave. You know, I think it's up to all of us to to delve into it a little bit and make sure they're leaving for the the right reasons. Ooh, when but you, I when think you said that, recruiting another another kid, actively recruiting somebody else's kid, you know, no, I definitely would not do I, that. I'm so glad you brought that up because there's something that it, it should be in place. I don't know if it's in place, Coach. Help me out on this, Carla. You as well. Coaching mm-hmm. ethics or respect oh, for other goodness. coaches. <laughs> mm. it's, it's definitely I mean not that it hasn't always been there but I think it's I think with the pressures and not just pressures the opportunity for notoriety the opportunity for you to succeed individually as a coach the opportunity uh, to change your own program uh, you know where there's goals there's going to be a rush you know, to to do whatever it takes to get the to get that goal and that goal in the form of a player. You know, so you've got. And when I when I teach coaching, the first thing we talk about is discovering what matters most to you. It's from the you know seven habits of highly effective teams, like the great discovery. What matters most to you? You know, and what are your principles? Uh, so they have to define their principles. They have to define what matters most to them. They have to, you know, do you, our honesty, trustworthiness, whatever. What are, what are your character traits? What are your principles? Because we also did a, looked at a podcast that was talking about Rick Pitino's uh, downfall at Louisville. Well, at some point, a coach, a person, forget if you're a coach or not, whatever area you're in, you have to stand on your own principles. You first have to have them, discover what matters most to you, and you have to have them. I'm proud to say I've stood on my principles most of my, well, not most, my whole career. I've stood on my my principles, but I've always, it's so how I was raised. I've always known what mattered most to me. And so now if you don't have those principles in place, you're not in touch with and what matters most to you, then how can you have any ethics? You True. know, you, you're not going to have them. You're going to be looking at what's going to benefit me the most and coaching ethics does come into play and does come is front and center when uh when you have kids hopping from place to place and it's it's a tough call because coaches are under a lot of pressure especially at the collegiate and professional levels more so than the high school levels the high school levels would probably tend to be more selfish reasons only because uh 
if you're running a great program and your kids are great people, I can't see somebody firing you because you don't win year in and year out if you're running a great program. Not that it doesn't happen. You know, right. they want you to win. They want you to win and be successful as well. But at what cost? You know, and if you so so I, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and know that I did the right thing because I think you can do both. You can develop your kids into winners into successful teams and successful people without stepping on somebody else's toes in the process. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not this uh, idealistic, oh, oh, you know, I, I understand how it is out there. And I'm not saying that people aren't tempted, you know, but at the end <laughs> of the day, you, you got to be happy with yourself and what you did. And what goes around probably comes around. The quicker than you think. Definitely. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quicker than you think, yep. um, Carlo. Yeah. What's your What's your thoughts? Um, just even with the the high school portal, I'll call it. What are your thoughts on that? I know us here in South Florida. Um, you know we we see it a lot, and Coach, I'm sure you see it in Texas as well. Yeah, Carlo. What's your thoughts oh, on yeah. the high school portal? I mean, like you said, we got the we have the collegiate portal, and then we have the high school portal, <laughs> the the undercover high school portal, and I tell you. Like Coach said, a, a number of kids who end up making that move in high school, they'll come back to you later and say, Coach, I really wish I wouldn't have done it. I really wish I would have, mm-hmm. you know, stuck it out, listened, and trusted the process. I've had so many kids over the years who have done that. And, you know, I just tell them, hey, it's, it's a life lesson. Take it and learn from it and, and grow from it. Um, but we definitely have coaches on the high school level soliciting players, uh with oh, false yeah. dreams, false hopes, you know, uh, parents trying to push kids to think that they're better than their current position or recognition on their current high school team, you know, and those things, you're not really teaching them the importance of life. You're not teaching mm-hmm. them real lessons in life and about trusting the process and working through adversity, and we're better together as a team and, and not as yeah. individual, you know, no matter who's getting the, the, that shout-out that night or that accolation, you know, accolades rather that that at that moment, don't worry about that. Let's stick together as a team, and we can be more successful as a team. So, yeah, the high school portal. I don't yeah. know how many people are in it right now, T, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it's work. It's, it's out there working. It's out there working. <laughs> and whatever happened to loyalty? And whatever happened well, to family? Listen, wait, wait. And you know, and and when you're a part of a family, there's more important things. And if you're a great player. And you may not be on the best team. There are other avenues to take through AAU, through your coach getting your information on huddle, contacting coaches for you to come by. Coaches are uh, no talent when they see it. And, yes, it's great. And they also recognize that most great players don't play on great high school teams. Sometimes they are the only coach. star. Tell them, co- you coach. You know, sometimes they're the only star on that team. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, you so, know, so there's a lot to consider other than just jumping to a team that's winning. You know, there are other things to consider. All right, let's. Oh, coach. I'm, oh man, I'm telling you, you you hitting it right now. When you talk about jumping yeah. to a team that's already winning, let's talk about mm-hmm. um, the coach. If that coach is not able to coach all the talent that they have, my thing is, how do you help everybody reach their highest peak? Um, you know, the highest level that they can while still trying to 
uh, I guess, give in to all these egos. Because with good players, sometimes you're going to have the ego issue. So yeah. how do, how, how yeah. do these coaches the, the, get I would past say, that part? I would warn those kids that are looking like at that to be very careful when you, you, you know, all that glitters isn't gold, when you look at that fact. You know, and there may, let's just be real, there's going to be a situation where going to that program probably is beneficial. But that's, I, I cannot say that's the norm. I can say that's an uh, extenuating circumstances and an isolated situation sometimes. And I'll go back to, I'll repeat what I said. If you have a good coach that's promoting you, that's developing you, that there's family, that's teaching you value, that's teaching you, the, you know, don't be so quick to give up on that to trade off for winning because in the end you're going to win if you have a coach that's doing that. You're going to be the winner in the long run, you know. And then, you know, you look at Phil Jackson who's been given so much acclaim for managing the different personalities and egos. It takes a special coach to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody can't do that. I would love to have that problem (laughs) as a coach, but everybody everybody can't do that. Are you willing to tackle that and hold them accountable? You know, so uh, there's no one clear-cut answer, reason, uh, avenue to take, you know. It's just not. So I would say weigh all your options, look at everything involved, Winning should not be the sole factor or maybe even in some cases the main factor or reason that you leave and go somewhere else. Because let's face it, with all, and I saw this before I got uh, now 17 years ago at the collegiate level, uh, now you look at a lot of AAU coaches having a lot of influence on where these kids go. I've seen AAU coaches pull kids from their high school teams and get them to other schools. You know, so it's just, it's, it's, you've got to look at what's best for you, but at the same time, what, what is, what is your criteria? Look at your criteria for staying or leaving, you know, and if you have a family, you got a great coach that cares about you, that's developing you, that's getting you exposure, that's helping get you on an AAU team or in a situation where you're visible and can be seen it's not just about whether or not your team wins and makes it to the playoffs that's not the only way you're going to be seen you know so I think I think people think they have to be on this high profile team profile team in order to make it and that is so far from the truth exactly (laughs) exactly yeah um so what um both of you guys have have coached on um the high school level and the collegiate level um let me ask you like ask you both this um, Carla, how do you feel about um, the relationship with the AAU programs versus the relationship with the high school program? And then after after that, Coach, same thing for you. So, Carla, let me know what you think. I'm sorry, repeat. That. I mean, um, I was asking what's the, the what what is the beneficial relationship for a college coach with the AAU program director or the college coach with the high school coach of a kid? Okay, go ahead, Carla. I think it's important to have a positive relationship with the AAU coach and the high school coach. Uh, if, if it would be in the benefit of the athlete to for them to have a a positive relationship, um, I don't think it has to be, but it will definitely be in the benefit of the athlete. Like for, for me now, personally, my, um, one of my top players um, is, is on on Essence with, with Coach Kim, 
And I love the way we work together. You know, she texts me or call me, asks me about film, you know, things that she may need to put together her part in terms of helping the athlete be successful. I do what I do on my side to help her be successful in terms of either seeking out scholarship opportunities or promoting her skills. We work together, and, and I love it. And the communication is there in terms of what she needs to do academically, what level is she looking for or would like to play on. I mean, just the conversation is something I, I haven't honestly haven't experienced in my entire, you know, tenure other than when my players played with Kim. Seriously. Oh, oh So I wow. think it's important. I'm going to um, piggyback to have a great Carla relationship. Said. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to piggyback what Carla said. Uh, done, it's Carla. a win-win. It's a win-win situation when you can work when the AAU coach and the high school coach and the college coach all work together. Sadly, that doesn't happen all the time. And I've had both situations uh, where that AAU coach shows it, – it's about respect. Is about the AAU coach respecting the high school coach as their coach and the high school coach, of course, respecting the AAU coach for what they can bring to the table and them working together collaboratively. Now it makes the college coach's job easier, you know, when they – but so – oh, I've had so many instances where that high school and AAU coach did not get along. And, it, and if you keep the kid, the student athlete, as the center of everything you're doing and your priority – You'll work together. It goes back to what matters most to you. Or do you really have this, this young woman or this young man's best interest at heart? Then you're going to work together, and your goal should be to get them the best opportunities from which they can choose as possible and to benefit the family and everybody else. Sadly, that doesn't happen often in my experiences. I, more, more times than not, the AAU coach and the high school coach were at odds. And you talk about the ugly side, the downside. I've had AAU coaches that got in really good with the college coaches, and that's and so they bypassed the high school coach. There were also opportun- also situations where that high school coach just wasn't involved or doing what they were supposed to, and the AAU coach stepped in. Right. So I've you know it's it's a myriad of different scenarios, but it's it, like Carla was alluding to when all three work together, it's a beautiful thing, and the, the end Trinity. product and desire is to benefit that student athlete and get them the best opportunity they can. So that's that that's the way it should be. Sadly, it's not. But when that happens, it's just the best of all worlds. I, I agree. I, um, I agree, Coach. The, it, it is. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. the, the Trinity that you that you guys mentioned is definitely needed. The Trinity, mm-hmm. <laughs> just oh, like yeah. the Scripture. The Father, the Son, yeah. the Holy Spirit. You need the new coach, the high school coach, and the college coach to yeah. all be on the same agenda for the kid. Yeah, for the kid. And if they're <laughs> not, then something's wrong with that. You hope the parents and the kids will recognize it. Because you can, How do and we you have them? AAU coaches, yeah, or some other coach trying to better their position or their stature or their ego. You know, at the at the uh, for the at the sake of the kid, you know, and and if if we're all in it for the right reasons, you know, then we're gonna get along, and we're gonna move toward making sure that whatever true choice they make is the best match for what that kid wants, not for what we want. Right, <laughs> that's another issue yeah. right there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want you guys to hit too, on. Too many uh, times they evoke their personal opinions. Sorry, T, one last thing on that. Too many good. times the yeah. AAU programs um, evoke their personal relationships and what they desire. Uh, I've, I've never mm-hmm. steered as a high school coach a kid in any direction. I may tell them schools or coaches that I, I, I believe in, I believe what they're doing with their program, I believe what they're doing with their players, but the final decision is up to the parent and the player. And But mm-hmm. too many times you see a lot of AAU programs that for whatever behind the scenes is going on, they veer kids, and it's not fair to the yeah. kids. And the kid is all That's the way up in fair. Michigan or That's Maine somewhere, That's and they miserable. Yeah. And our job is to, to know what matters most to those kids. When you know your kids, you know what matters most. You know that maybe that kid is not going to thrive on a huge campus, or yes. if they've told yes. you, or or you know they have four guards ahead of you. So if you want to play immediately, once you find out what matters most to them, you can steer, and actually not even steer. Let me let me take that back. You can lay out the pros and cons of you. That's what I did. Lay out the pros and cons for each place. And once you, okay, now you say this matters, this matters, somebody's going to rise. Somebody's going to rise above the others. It might be two or three. It might be two. Somebody's going to rise above the others based on what that student athlete and their family wants. So that's our job, to guide them to find the places that best offer what you're looking for. And then it doesn't become a complicated process. Somebody's going to offer it more. Offer more, offer it better, and then best, and that's when you make your choice. Is there something um, that exists out there um, besides the NCAA's website that can educate parents on the recruiting process for their child? Uh, themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take it upon yourself to educate yourself on the recruiting process. You know, that's ownership. You're taking ownership for your own child's future and your involvement in it. Yeah, the NCAA, I I would say, gives the best because they've really expanded it. There are always uh, seminars. There are always things that are going on for parents. And unfortunately, a lot of times high school guidance counselors aren't educated in it. So, You've got to take it upon yourself. I would tell the parents, I said, take it upon yourself. You, yeah, it's great if you have a coach that's knowledgeable or gets the knowledge or steers them in the right direction to get the knowledge. But we talk about technology in the age in which we live. You know, educate <laughs> yourself. Very true. And a lot of parents mm-hmm. actually don't want to take the step. I think, you know, the day and age we live in, people want instantaneous they results. Want somebody else. And want somebody else to do it for them, then that's then shame on you. Then you need then don't complain. You, even if somebody exactly. does offer you and offer you a resource, it's so much information. You still got to do your part. You still got to take right. ownership and do your part to decipher all that information and how it applies to your student athlete, your daughter, your son. You still got to take all that information and and make it make sense to you and your child and get the facts and don't be caught in the end, oh, my daughter didn't have all her core courses or she didn't, uh, oh, I didn't know they had to make this on the test. I didn't know about this part of the recruit. You know, knowledge is power and knowledge empowers. 
So there's no point in time that says the parent does not play a role in educating themselves and making sure they and their student-athletes are educated. Definitely agree with that. Um, you got to put some Take work ownership. in. Mm-hmm. Accountability. That's the word you talk about in practice all the time, right, Coach? Accountability, Accountability and responsibility. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I still preach it to Cara because accountability <laughs> is you. Responsibility is you and others. So they are both applicable here. Accountability and responsibility. Man, we have a uh, leadership class right now, huh? <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm loving uh, it. I have Definitely. a lot of coaches. You're you're getting the best of what I got. There we go. That's from all my, that matters. From my <laughs> mother and my my little village that have raised me, and all the great coaches I had, and all the great players I played with and against. I mean, it's it's a it's definitely not just coming from me. Exactly. So, um, real quick, the 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 class of 2020. Um, I'm just going back to those 901 transfers that's in the portal. Um, people that entered their name into the portal. The class of 2020, mm-hmm. and I would say 2021 gets hurt by that because now college coaches can just go ahead and pick an experienced player that has already been away from home to join their program versus getting um, a freshman coming in who may not be ready or I don't I don't know what your upside is going to be like you're an unknown as of right now but I can get a player that I know has had collegiate training collegiate coaching and that pretty much enhance my program mm-hmm. you know so yeah. how should the class of 2020 and 2021 look at that going forward um, and with their chances of obtaining a collegiate scholarship right now I mean you talk about technology if you don't have a, a recruiting profile already in place, then you're kind of behind the they you're kind of behind anyway. By now, you should have information uploaded, full games, you know, highlights. Coaches love highlights, but coaches love full games, the good, the bad, and everything in between. You should have uh, been to exposure camps, you know, and if you don't have that already, it's going to hurt you whether you were, whether the the impact of COVID or not. And then you need advocates, you know, here's where the coach comes in, that AAU coach, that high school coach, you know, uh, or I used to always as a college coach would call the opponents in the conferences and districts in which they play, you know, so, uh, Maybe you kind of be proactive on your own and get your recruiting profile together if you haven't done so already. And unfortunately, you may have to self-promote and get people um, to speak up on your behalf. You know, not just your coaches, but your opponent's coaches, because that's always a good resource. They tell you, oh, this kid killed this kid, you know. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's unprecedented times, but – I don't know that COVID would change anything if you don't already have your ducks in order. You know, they should have known about your freshman accolades, your sophomore accolades. You should have your transcript. You should have already uh, taken a a test, you know, after that junior season by the junior. So you should have those things in place. Maybe you, you know, uh, shore them up a little bit. Right. But I don't. I mean, if you're not ready, ready. if you're not ready now, you're not going to be ready anyway. <laughs> right. 
Right. So you got you got to stay ready, though, Coach. You got to stay, and, and that's yeah. an important part of your team, from your high school coaches to your AAU travel coaches, your parents, and yourself being accountable, the athlete being accountable, too. But staying ready and staying prepared and not waiting to the last minute to uh, oh, to get yeah. things done. And, Shayla, you also, you know, uh, Carla, I'm sorry. Carla, we also know that um, recruiting over the years has gotten younger and younger and younger. The only person that would probably hurt would be a late bloomer or somebody that, you know, well, basically a late bloomer. But if you were, if you were on that, you were going to be on that college coach's radar anyway if you were a yeah. talented player. You were going to already be on their radar. It was getting younger and younger and younger before I got out. So I, I'm sure they're recruiting them in the, uh, looking at them in the fifth grade now. Look, they're advanced. looking at 20. Come look, they probably, they're they recruiting 2027 20, <laughs> or something right now. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, you're you should already further. be on their radar. You got fifth graders posting. I saw this one little fifth grade girl killing these boys, you know, and that's the advantage of, of uh, the social media nowadays. So they, you're going to already, if you're ta- an outstanding talent, you're already on somebody's radar. And so by the time you're a junior and COVID comes along, they're going to know, hey, there's that kid, you know, they're going to know about you. It's the sleeper and the late bloomer that it would impact, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. So true. So, Coach, I mean, like we've been on and you've given us a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I'm I'm impressed. I haven't met you in person, but I'm honored again to be on the call with you because you, you have a Thank wealth you, of Carl. knowledge and you've shared some of that with us over this time. Any any final thoughts that you may have, or anything that you want to share with our listeners, with the young athletes or the parents or the coaches to um, help them succeed in this, this game of basketball or the game of life in general? Yeah. The main thing I say, and I got this from Ayanna Van Zandt, which is she said, do, do, do the work. There are no shortcuts. There just aren't. I mean, that's been my experience. If you observe the people who are great, you know, they take their lumps and bruises. But in the end, you have to do the work. And that is all-encompassing. That's as an athlete in the classroom, as a human being, working on being a stronger person. Do the work. You have to put in the work. And then the, you'll reap the benefits of that work. So I'd like to say that to anybody that's striving for anything in, uh, as a student athlete, as a professional athlete, as a successful human being in life, as a good parent, anything. Do the work. Take ownership of it. Accountability, responsibility. For the other thing, the other point I want to leave with all of you, because this has become my passion now, uh, we were inspired after we got inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018 as trailblazers of the game. It was a long time coming, and Doug Bruno played such a huge part in that uh, current coach, the one I mentioned earlier, my former coach and uh, boss at DePaul University, Ann Myers. Uh, also, they, they pushed us through, and we were just inspired because what we realized is it took so long, and secondly, we are still hidden figures. So I would say know your history. As all this new history is being made, you cannot gauge the amount, the the impact of it without knowing from whence you came. How can you tell how far you are right now if you don't know where you started from? 
So understand the social, political, historical relevance of the WBL, which is our mission. And we also to inspire future generations to break through barriers like we did, you know, realize their potential like we did, and become leaders for positive change like we hope that we have. That's our mission. And so I would leave you with that. And know your history, period. I mean, as women, as African Americans, as whatever race, you know, you may happen, know your history, period. Because one thing I've seen that bothers me is this generation that thinks everything has always been the way it is. That is so (laughs) far from the truth. Somebody made a way for you. Somebody sacrificed for you. Somebody did this so you can now have what you have. That would be the other. And that's for everybody. You know, so that's, that's probably. And to continue to pass it on and pay it forward, which is what we strive to do. And I'm proud of Takara, I'm proud of Carrie, I'm proud of Anuka, I'm proud of so many, you know, every place I've been, I've got a poem, another poem I wrote, I'm also a writer, called Pieces <laughs> of Me, because every student athlete I coached has a piece of me. But they also have a piece of everybody that influenced me. So you're getting so much more from it. So that's what I'd like to uh, leave your audience with. Coach, we just want to thank you so much for joining in with us. Um, before I let Thank you go, you, I just Pete. need to. <laughs> I need to know one thing: Is there a mentor program that's available for younger black coaches or high school coaches that want to learn from these mentors? Is, do you know of anything like that in place, or are you willing to be our pioneer once again? I'm willing to be a pioneer. That's what, that's what I'm made of. I don't know. I, I would. You know, you shared something with me. Remember what you shared with me? I can't remember who it was. That was really good stuff. Uh, but um, I don't know. I know the NCAA has a, a program in place. I mean, the WBCA, I'm sorry, has a, a something in place that is mentoring young coaches. Uh, Pat Summit Foundation has something in place that is teaching her definite dozen that's aimed at mentoring young coaches. So I am aware of those, and I can. Um, I bet there's more. Okay. But those are the only two that I am aware of at this time. I know as a member of the original BCA, Black Coaches Association, and I don't even know if they're still in existence, but we did a lot of mentoring, and we actually made an impact. Coach Washington, Coach Stringer, myself, you know, we were some of the original members, uh, Mariana Freeman. Uh, I mean, I don't want to start naming names and leaving people out, but that was part of the BCA's mission was to mentor young African-Americans uh, so that we could break into the coaching ranks. Because remember I told you when I first started out, that we were few and far in between. Then we started mm-hmm. becoming assistants, and then mm-hmm. we started having those opportunities to become head coaches. So the VCA certainly helped me and a lot of uh, younger coaches than I was. I, can, you know, I can't think of her name right now, but she went on to coach for years with Houston, and uh, I'm trying to think. I can't think of her name, where she is. But that, that was all part of the BCA. So we need something like that again. But um, I do know the Pat Summit Foundation has seminars about that. I can share that information because I was on the first seminar, and I actually, we co- our group met them, and we're collaborating with them. And um, and I know that um, the NCAA, I mean WBCA, dang it, has this uh, young mentoring program. And those were some of the when we went to the final four when we saw UT in Tampa, 
that was mm-hmm. one of the things we wanted to do was they were one of our target audiences were the young coaches. Know the history. Know our history so you can pass it on to your girls. That's one way we can come out of the shadows is for these young coaches to start saying, did you know there was a women's professional basketball league before the ABL and the WBL? I mean, WNBA? Mm-hmm. Did you know that the ball was that you play with now was designed by a member of the famous Redheads who also played in the WBL, designed that basketball for the WBL, the 28.5 you play with now? You know, you don't even know how it came about. So, okay. yeah, I, but I'd be willing to jump in and do more mentoring with that. I certainly would. I mean, it, there's a need for it. Yes, there's agreed. definitely a need for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coach, we thank you. So you once guys are again. doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. This is where it starts. It starts in the grassroots level. Then somebody hears you, and somebody hears something I said and you said, and they take it and pass it on. That's how it starts. So great Absolutely. job, and kudos to both of you. Yeah. Thank you. And I'll Appreciate send you my point. poem on greatness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want that. I, I love, I'm a, I'm a semi writer, so and I love to read poetry, so I definitely love that poetry. Yeah, well, it's it's from two perspectives. Let me tell you this, Carl, before I let y'all go. You kick the car, knows I can talk, so I got to put my neck on myself. <laughs> but it's it's from the perspective of the student, and and uh, it's from the perspective student and student athlete, and the perspective of the teacher and coach. We greatness, greatness that we see and may overlook in those we peg as students and student athletes, and greatness from the perspective of the kid, you don't even know that you're exactly. in the presence of greatness. So it's it's, right. it's a two part poem, part one and part two. You'll you'll understand what I'm talking about when you see it. Okay. okay. All right, Coach. All right. I got it. Okay. All right, Coach. We appreciate it. Thank you for day. coming it's been on. A great way to spend a Saturday morning. There you go. <laughs> All right, Coach. Okay. Really, uh, looking forward to talking to you. Talk to you soon. Take care, Bye-bye. Coach. All right. You too. Right. Bye. Hey, guys, that was our She Got Game um, podcast, and hope you guys enjoyed it. Fun-filled, a lot of information, and um, hope you guys stay on for the next one. That will be coming up. We'll give you guys more of this. Me, myself, and Carla, and we'll always try to bring someone on to enlighten us on all that's to come. So thank you for joining us and 